70% of Christians who entering college walk away from their faith. With statistics like these, what could the church, what can Christian parents possibly do to ensure that their children enter college, have a good experience, and come out with their faith intact? There are 10 things every Christian should know for college, according to my guest today. His name is Austin Gentry, and he wrote the uh, a recent book titled just that, 10 Things Every Christian Should Know for College. He um, graduated from UNC Chapel Hill with a double major in religious studies and interpersonal and organizational communication, and he is also a graduate of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, where he earned a Master's of Divinity, and he currently serves as a young adults pastor for Second Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. Hope you enjoy the episode today. We had a great conversation about uh, college students, Christian college students, and the, the challenges that they face, and some practical advice uh, for them and for anyone uh, raising uh, students who are going to go off to college. This is an important topic, and I think you'll benefit from it greatly. If you want to listen to the bonus segment where I ask Austin about uh, dating advice for college students uh, um, and also ask him about some future projects that he's working on, you can follow the Patreon link in the description or head on over to www.patreon.com forward slash help me believe and become a supporter of the show for as little as a dollar a month. Thanks so much, guys, and enjoy the episode. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of uh, Help Me Believe, the show about Christian apologetics and theology. My name is Hayden Clark, your host, and today I am excited to introduce my special guest to you. His name is Austin Gentry, and he's the author of the new book, 10 Things Every Christian Should Know for College. It's an important topic, and I'm excited to have you on. Austin, how are you doing today? Good. Thanks for having me, Hayden. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I really appreciate it. I'm sure you got a busy schedule and everything. Uh before we uh, dive into the book, I have read the book. It's a great book, and I oh, highly, h- highly recommend it to the audience, uh, especially if you're in college or if you're, you know, maybe a senior in high school. Or it's really for everybody because we all know somebody that's either in in college or is going to be in college. And there's some important principles uh, in this book, and uh, so I'm, I'm thank you for writing it. Um, I appreciate it. I think it's important to get out there. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thanks for reading it. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> Being to, not in college yourself. Yeah, not anymore. This was uh, a, a, a book I wish I would have had at the time or would have been aware of. Maybe there was other books, but I wasn't aware. Um, but before we get into the book, um, maybe you could introduce yourself to the audience for those who may not be familiar with you and kind of just give us a, a backstory of yeah. uh, who you are, where you come from, and what you do. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so my name is Austin Gentry. Uh, I'm 27. I work at uh, Second Baptist Houston, uh, which is a, a Baptist church in the city of Houston, uh, and I serve as a young adults pastor there. So I do singles, 20s, and 30s, uh, essentially, where I do teaching and mentoring and discipling and programming and uh, really just just striving to to build the ministry of that church for that particular demographic. Um, so I'm really enjoying it. I just started about three months ago. Previously, I was in North Carolina, which is where I was born and raised uh, in High Point. And then I went to UNC Chapel Hill for college. And then I went to Southeastern Baptist Theological for seminary, uh, which is in Wake Forest, North Carolina. I was working right after seminary for a fast food company called Cookout. If you're on the East Coast, you absolutely love Cookout. And I was doing all their digital marketing, social media, HR, hiring kind of stuff. And then I moved from there to Charlotte 
where I was only about six months. Uh, yeah, I was only there for about six months, and I was serving, kind of doing the same thing with digital media with Krispy Kreme. So uh, just nice. trying to hit all the Southern comfort food brands, and then uh, this opportunity at Second in Houston uh, just kind of felt like the Lord was leading me there. So went ahead and took it, and it's been it's been an awesome transition ever since. Well, that's a that's a neat story. Everybody loves Krispy Kreme, I think. Oh yeah. So that's that's really neat. But uh, mm-hmm. at at some point, um, there's some kind of connection with J.D. Greer. Is that is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So when I was in college, I uh, went to the Summit Church, uh, and I was there for about seven and a half years, all through college and after college. And while I was in seminary, uh, I attended the Summit. And uh, in seminary, I had a class where you could work. Uh, as like an intern and it would count as like class credit. And uh, so I was working for his research assistant or editor of the, of the summit. So working on, you know, sermon research, all that kind of stuff and helping out with their, their literature and their content there, which is a great opportunity. I learned a lot. And then uh, after that, I was serving as uh, more or less like a weekend assistant, just helping out with all the weekend logistics so that he doesn't have to juggle that on top of yeah. just preparing the regular messages. And that's how I, I kind of got to know JD. He's a, he's a great guy. Well, he seems like it. I've never met him. Uh, if you're unfamiliar, J.D. Greer is the president of the Southern Baptist Convention and the pastor there. Um, and uh, you wrote the foreword for the book. That's correct, yes? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And so now let's get into the book. So what, uh, again, the, the title of the book is 10 Things Every Christian Should Know for College. And so what motivated you to write this book? Yeah. Um, well, one, uh, I always have loved writing just in general. I've been writing since I was little and, uh, it's always been a passion of mine. Um, I started a blog, uh, just my name.com, um, about seven or eight years ago. And to be 100% honest with you, I, I don't get tons of reads on my blogs. It's yeah. totally fine. Just write and whoever reads it, that's great. Um, but I've been doing that for a while and uh, I had one blog in particular, uh, back in the fall of 2016, right before students would head to campus where I was like, you know what? I kind of want to uh, write like an ode to, uh, who don't really to go up against, uh, especially those who are coming from a Christian background or Christian family or Christian school. Like I did myself. And so I thought, like, all right, what would I say to them if I could boil it down into, like, eight things? And so my blog was just, like, eight pointers for a Christian before their freshman year, like, before they step on campus. And the thing kind of took off. Uh, a lot of people uh, were messaging me back and commenting on it and, you know, sharing it with their friends. And I was getting messages from headmasters at Christian schools or parents or people that I hadn't met before that just were saying, hey, thanks for, for writing this. This was really uh, calming or this was encouraging or this was uh, clarifying, um, just in many ways like that. And so I thought, like, you know what, maybe I did strike a chord in a way. And the more that I kind of looked around for resources on that subject or to reach that demographic in particular, there weren't really a whole lot. And those that were there already, uh, not that they're outdated, but they had been written a long time ago. And I know that uh, our college climate has certainly changed, especially in the last 10 years or just culture in general. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to write uh, particularly for those who would walk in as a millennial, as Gen Z, and what what can they really expect at a university environment in terms of how their faith is going to interact with that just right off the bat. And so that's, what, that's why I wrote it. And uh, after the blog did well, I guess I, I felt like, oh, maybe I want to write like a pamphlet instead of like a blog where I can do each pointer justice. Um, and that just kind of, cause I'm a little long winded, it turned into each pointer turned into like a chapter yeah. and that turned into a, a book. So that's uh, kind of how it came to be. Well, that's awesome. So mm-hmm. let, uh, let's get into this, uh, what students can expect. You know, you got, uh, movies out there like God's not dead and, you know, you got the, the atheist professor who's really hounding on the Christian students and, um, yeah. 
in a lot of ways doing some um, not great things and and <laughs> uh, really uh, trying to intimidate students. And so you you see that in in movies and things like that, or you hear horror stories in the news, yeah, uh, or from conservative outlets at least. And then mm-hmm. and then you then you have a, an experience like I did in college, which is I went to a junior college. Now of course this is. Uh, limited to being in Texas, so perhaps the demographic's much different um, in, mm-hmm. in, in terms of uh, hostility or non-hostility towards the Christian mm-hmm. faith. And, you know, a lot of my professors were Christians, and I even became friends with some of them and talked to them about my faith and stuff like that. So what can uh, Christian, uh, you know, high school students going into college, what can they expect uh, from their professors when it comes to um, faith? Yeah, uh, I, I think overall, and I'm going to speak more so in line with like a secular university, a university that's not a Christian one in yeah. particular. So uh, I think I think overall you can expect that, you know, I, I think that God's not dead or movies like that are certainly important and they certainly uh, communicate a certain truth uh, that you need to be prepared to defend your faith when you're in the college classroom, which is a great point. But I think that the movie also, uh, not to, to be offensive to them at all, I, I think they certainly embellish. Uh, what really happens in the college classroom. I mean, if you've seen the movie, uh, you know, the guy is, uh, the professor's a maniac and he's just almost like demon possessed and is just yelling all the time and just, just being w- way too much or being very, very extra with uh, yeah. how he, while he attacks Christians. And that's just not the case. That's not a typical experience. Even if you're believe, even if your professor is not a believer or is a hardcore atheist, you're not really going to have that experience up. Uh, generally, you should expect that uh, your professor's whether they're religious or not, uh, that they're not going to attack you personally. You know, that's a majority of them are just going to teach passively against Christianity. They're just going to teach from a secular point of view or the assumption that God does not exist just because they have to, or maybe they're at a state university, they're not allowed to take certain stances. Maybe only some of them will be more actively anti-Christian, like calling out certain things about Christianity that they certainly wouldn't dare to call out with Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism. Um, so that kind of thing. Uh, and then also I think, uh, you know, the, a small, small percentage of them will actually go so far as to, you know, call you out personally, uh, in front of the class. I don't think you should expect that. Um, I think it's gotta be unrealistic. So that's generally what you would expect overall, I think. Yeah, I think that's a fair uh, assessment for sure. There's, there's definitely a a spectrum and a distribution. Mm -hmm. You know, the average is going to be passively probably, uh, uh, acting against Christianity, and then there will be some that are actually Christians, and then some who are very aggressively uh, against Christianity. But, yeah, I Mm -hmm. think that's definitely a fair assessment. So when it comes to uh, students or even professors who do make objections and arguments against uh, Christianity actively, um, even though they make, you know, intellectual objections whenever they speak, you know, they'll say, you know, that they're not a Christian because of, you know, this point or that point or that point, and they're mm-hmm. usually intellectual points. But as you point out in the book, if you listen closely, a lot of times they'll reveal that the true problem is more of a, an, an emotional or moral uh, problem or objection that they have. And I think you mentioned Bart Ehrman on this, and when you, mm-hmm. you know, Bart mostly makes his, in his books at least, he writes about, how the Gospels are untrustworthy and things like this, or there's problems with the manuscripts. But when he actually talks about his conversion from Christianity to atheism, um, it's quite a different story. So could you kind of touch on that? 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, so Bart Ehrman, uh, if you haven't heard of him, he, he's a scholar who is uh, quite famous in the agnostic or atheist realm as being a textual criticist where he uh, criticizes or maybe looks at uh, the, the New Testament uh script itself or manuscripts with a more critical eye than most people, maybe, maybe even too far as some people would suggest. Um, and so he'll say like, Oh, you can't trust the Bible because there's uh, 2000 errors in the gospel accounts, or there's a hundred thousand errors in the book of Romans. And you're like, huh, that's interesting because there's only like 8,000 words in the entire book. So how do you (laughs) like, how does the math add up there? I don't know. Um, so he'll make these big, bold claims or, um, say that like, one gospel writer contradicts another gospel writer, and because of that, we can't trust that they made it all up. And uh, therefore, you shouldn't be a Christian because this is just not a, a reliable book that you should believe in. And so that's interesting. Uh, however, like what you said, um, the issue ultimately with anything, and, and now he brings up fair intellectual uh, reasons. Now, we certainly don't have time to address every single point and all the different errors or quote-unquote errors that he brings up or right. quote-unquote contradictions. Um, but nevertheless, his reasoning um, for becoming a non-believer, uh, you know, his anti-testimony, if you will, was not because of any intellectual reasons. It was actually because he just didn't like, he didn't prefer uh, Christianity's stance on evil and pain and suffering and hell. He just doesn't like it. And so because he doesn't like it, it has therefore now led him to have, you know, convictions more or less that, you know, uphold these objections to Christianity on an intellectual level. So in other words, his heart had already made up its mind, and now his intellectual mind is just trying to reinforce what his heart already wants to believe. And and that's not only uh, accurate for professors to do that. It's accurate for everybody. Um, none of us are, are, are free of this. This is something that we all uh, tend to drive our car into the ditch of intellectually. And it's, it's not um, it being intellectually honest. Um, and, but we, it's something that we all need to be aware of is that our heart is always underneath steering us towards one set of data or another. And we need to ask ourselves – are we being truly consistent um, with that? And I think it, it comes first from uh, a, a submission to just to truth. Um, and where that begins, I, I start in the book is the resurrection, and, and that's where it all it all starts, and you you go from there. So whenever we encounter somebody that uh, may be making intellectual objections on the surface, um, but perhaps it it becomes clear that they're actually emotionally driven mm. or, or, or morally driven. Is it a good idea to call somebody on that, or should we, yeah. sim- or si- should we simply um, meet them where they're pretending to be um, yeah. and just deal with the intellectual objections? No, I, I love this. So two things. Um, I, I read a, an article. Um, Tim Keller talked about it, but he was referencing a friend of his, so it wasn't his own experience. But he was saying uh, every time this youth pastor – uh, would meet up with uh, a student who went off to college who he used to have in the youth group. And the student would say, well, you know, I'm just struggling with Christianity. I don't know if I believe this anymore. My professor said this. The first thing that this youth pastor would ask his uh, freshman year student, who is apparently falling away from the faith, he would ask him, so who are you sleeping with? <laughs> not Seriously, he, not— No, I get not, it. No, I see what you're doing. Not yeah. an intellectual objection. So who are you sleeping with? And almost always— the person is wait. Who told you? How do you how do you know? And he's like, well, that's where it all starts. It all starts from a desire to be autonomous. And then if the, if I don't like certain things in Christianity, then of course I'm going to alleviate conviction. Of course I'm going to alleviate. And I'm just going to throw up, you know, intellectual objections as smoke screens just to give me enough time and freedom to do what I want to do. And maybe I'll come back to it later. But right now I'm kind of enjoying myself. So back off. 
That that's mm-hmm. essentially the tenor. And, and this is not something that is uh, common in our in our modern context. In fact, this happens in John chapter four um, with the lady at the well. What's interesting is that you know this lady in John chapter four, Jesus meets her at the well, and and uh, he goes, you know, give me some water, and she's like, cool, like I see that you're a prophet, and he goes, yeah, you know, Jesus, Jesus says, well, you've had five marriages, and uh, you're actually with your sixth man now, who's not your husband, um, and she's like, wow, how'd you know that? And then he he, Jesus continues the level of conviction, and then this woman, what she does is she goes, she changes the subject entirely. She goes, well, so so if you're prophet, then I've heard it said that, you know, sometimes the Jews worship on this mountain and sometimes the Gentiles are supposed to worship on this mountain. But like, is it really a mountain thing? Like, I don't know. And Jesus is like, really? Like, that's what you're okay. I I see what you're saying. So people have a tendency to bring up intellectual objections when their heart begins to feel the sting of conviction. And and I think that is 100% true in my own life. That's something that everyone struggles with. And, And so Jesus calmly addressed the objections intellectually and use those objections to kind of trap door back to the main issue, which is the heart. And is your heart um, fully submitted first? Because if it's not, then you'll never be intellectually honest. It, it, you just can't. In fact, Frank Turek, who, um, who we mentioned earlier, uh, he says in, in some of his talks, he goes, if, if I gave you all the evidence that Christianity was true, would you believe it right now? And if people hesitate or they say no, then he's like, well, then it's this is not even about the intellectual reasons after all. This is about your heart, mm, you know. Sure. So, are you even being intellectually honest here? No, you're not. And so that that's where the heart comes into play in these things. Well, if atheism was true, would you believe it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> Just checking. <laughs> yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right about the the um, the mind justifying what what the heart wants. I think I think that. I definitely didn't fra- uh, coin that. I think that's a, a famous quote. I'm not sure who said it. But yeah, he, uh, Thomas Cramner actually appeared. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah thank you. Very poetic people. Yeah, not I'm not one of them. But uh, mm-hmm. anyway, I want to switch gears, gears here and uh, address the the topic of doubt. But first, mm-hmm. if you're listening, I want to give a patron shout out to Tyler. Thanks so much, Tyler, for your support. We appreciate you being a patron. And if you're listening, I know what you're thinking. Uh, you've always wanted to hear me give you a shout out on the show. That's what you've always dreamed of, and you mm-hmm. can do that by becoming a patron over at our Patreon page. There's a link in the description. Uh, you can become a supporter for as little as a dollar a month. Thanks so much for your support, guys. And we'll get back uh, to our conversation here. With with Austin Gentry, the author of 10 Things Every Christian Should Know for College. And we're going to switch gears uh, from what we've been talking about and address this problem of doubt. And so doubt, I think, is something that uh, we, we've all experienced. Um, to, you know, We may all experience to a different um, degree or level, but I think we definitely, if we were honest, we would say, uh, we would all say that we've experienced doubt. And so there seems to be, in some Christian circles, a stigma around this, and so I was wondering if you could address that and perhaps um, give us a remedy for how we should, how should we uh, view our doubts and how should we deal with them. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's that's a great point. So, so two things just right off the bat. One, uh, it's a shame. Um, that doubt has been looked at shamefully in the church. Um, in fact, doubt is is nothing to be ashamed of. Um, in fact, if you're not doubting or have never doubted anything before, it's maybe because you're not thinking or you haven't been challenged. Um, and I, th- I think most people, uh, when they go off to college, they begin doubting because in the first time in their life, they've really actually had to be challenged. Um, maybe they didn't have to be challenged in high school. They didn't have to be challenged in church. And so why would I think otherwise? And I never had any other mental categories to 
actually think such way. Yeah. And so when you go to college, uh, like for me example, um, I would start hearing things in the classroom that I had never thought of before or didn't have answers to. And so I would begin to doubt, but simply that doubt is, is not a bad thing. It's a neutral thing. It simply represents the gap between what you do know and what you don't know or what you don't yet know. And that gap is is a very critical strategic thing in your faith that you want to fill and to grow. And so doubt in many ways can be a launch pad into new areas of faith. Um, now, secondly, I, I think what's important is that in many cases, doubt is shamed or, or it's shameful to talk about doubt because in many church environments or Christian environments, um, people's identity, their self-worth uh, or how good of a Christian they are, uh, is based on how well their life is put together as a Christian. And so they feel like they can't express doubt because that might jeopardize how other people would think of them and how other people in Christianity think about them in their own environment is the most important thing to them. And so because – I don't think it's a doubt issue. This is 100 percent an identity issue because if your identity is based on you being a good Christian – then you're never going to express doubt because you can't. Because if you do, it's going to make you look like a you don't have it all together. So, so you're not going to be vulnerable. So I think, first of all, in order to address the issue of doubt, you need to have a solid foundation of your identity, which is not in how good of a person you are or how of a good Christian you are. It's ultimately rooted in who Jesus says you are and how much he loves you. And so if you can rest in that, knowing that your self-worth is found in what he thinks about you, not anyone else— then you're finally free to express your doubts. Then you're finally free to be like, hey, I have questions about this. Can someone help me? Mm -hmm. And it's not shameful. You're just being honest. And that's what Christianity ought to look like. And and too often I feel like we veer more uh, into the shameful area because our identity is, is found in not Jesus but in being good for Jesus, which is a shame. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, and the downside to um, not viewing it that way is going to be, you know, if you're if, – if you're having doubt, then there's questions that you need answered to, mm -hmm. and you're never going to get answers unless you ask questions, and you'll never ask questions unless you're first honest. And so that's what I always uh, mm -hmm. recommend to people who have doubts for sure. And uh, whether it's you that's know, good, whether it's sinful or not is almost irrelevant for me. I, I think I lean with you; it's pretty uh, neutral. But uh, mm -hmm. some people tend to think, you know, that it that it is sinful, and they got some decent arguments for that. But to me, it's almost irrelevant uh, because even if it is bad, even if we can classify doubt as bad. God still uses bad things uh, for good, and so there's 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 no doubt that God used doubt in my own life when I was standing mm. standing on the precipice of uh, considering leaving the faith, and then uh, decided to actually lean into my doubts and actually find some answers. And yeah. uh, uh, you know, God, I definitely see the hand of God sovereignly leading me to uh, different apologists and people like that mm. who I got some answers from, and then my faith actually became stronger. So there's this, there's this counterintuitive idea that God took my doubt and led me to a stronger faith. And we see yeah. God, we see God doing this all the time in different aspects, uh, different areas in the, in the scriptures. Uh, mm -hmm. The death and resurrection of Jesus being the most obvious, and a horrible thing mm -hmm. happened, and God made something good of it. Uh, sorry, I Definitely. went on a little rant there. <laughs> oh no, and I, and I want I want to uh, kind of leapfrog with that. Sure. I think that's you bring up a great point. I, I do think in some cases uh, doubt can be sinful, okay. uh, but I, I think here in particular intellectual doubt. I think if you want to define it, you could just say unanswered questions. Yeah. Um, now, perhaps the bad kind of doubt would be like doubting that God really loves you, or mm. doubting that He really forgives you, or doubting that like you're worth something to him or doubting that, um, you know, he'll ever be able to redeem such a situation or doubting, you know, things like that, yeah. um, that I think are more, um, 
about the nature of God himself mm. than simply trying to wan- wander your way through questions that you just haven't answered before. Yeah, for sure. I think it's there's a definitely, distinction. Right? Yeah, that's a good distinction. Mm-hmm. Um, so not only do you address uh, kind of some, some, some intellectual topics like the ones we've been talking about in the book, but you also give some very practical advice, some good advice, uh, I believe. So I kind of want to turn or switch gears towards this, the, sure. the more practical advices that you give. And uh, on one of them, you talk about this tension between uh, surrounding yourself with uh, not only Christian friends while you're in college, mm-hmm. but also non-Christian uh, peers or friends. And so I was uh, um, wondering if you could m- maybe touch on that or give some advice on well, if you should merely surround yourself with Christians or, and, mm-hmm. and, or, or how you should uh, address that. Yeah, so um, I, I think there are, uh, it, it, let's say you have a straight line of a road and you got a ditch on either side. And I feel like people, based on your personality, will either go veer right into one ditch or veer left into the other ditch. Yeah. And so we both uh, personalities, both types of people need to be realigned um, into one particular, you know, in, into the road that leads to true life and freedom. And so and so one of the one of the ditches, if you will, I think is only finding Christian friends. This is probably uh, the ditch that I gravitate towards most because I grew up in a Christian family, grew up in a Christian private school. It's, you know, comfortable to me. And so if I really want want friendship, if I want community, I'm just going to try to find it there as fast as I can. And uh, once I find it, then I'm just going to be cool and just kind of stay and feel good about myself. But that's not biblical at all. Uh, In fact, that's very offensive to God. Um, And then the other side of the ditch um, um, is just as bad, where you think that, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't really want to like get plugged in there. And so I I think I can do life and faith on my own, which is not biblical either. Uh, So you kind of fall into into the, the different crowds that really their faith might be important to them on face value, but practically that doesn't really hold any weight. Um, and so you don't find your community in, in, in a strong biblical balance of both, um, where, but ultimately you try to find it in the acceptance of others. I think, again, this is an identity issue, not even a community issue. Where are you finding your self-worth? Are you finding it in the acceptance of others? Well, then if that's the case, then you're only going to be with your Christian friends or you're only going to be with people who just simply quote unquote accept you. And so, um, both 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 angles are short-sighted and they're, and they're practically destructive uh, um spiritually if if you're a christian and all you have is christian friends that is destructive for your faith this is not the way that jesus lived this is not the biblical model and uh, if you're a christian and you only have non-believing friends mm-hmm. then that's destructive for your faith too because god made you to thrive in community uh, and especially community of a church and other believers so, so it's how do i walk that fine line of making sure that you know i'm having good fellowship with believers who are like-minded and i'm, I'm they're challenging me and um, stretching me and then, am I being missional? Am, am, are, do all my friends look and talk like me? Mm-hmm. If so, ah, oh, it's probably not what Jesus would prefer because Jesus surrounded himself with people who were all over the place on different spectrums, politically, socially, morally, and that's what our lives as Christians ought to look like too. And on the college campus in particular, there is absolutely no excuse for why your friendships can't be diverse because there on the college campus, you have more access to different types of people than anywhere else. Yeah, for <laughs> you sure. You just do. Yeah, and they're all within a two-mile radius of you. So there's no there's no excuse. And so that, that that's uh, my encouragement to people is to is to pour yourself into both communities. Uh, you need both. Yeah, th- this uh, really stood out to me. It's something that I often 
um, even even presently have always struggled with is, you know, I've got my I got a good core and I'm involved in church, and so I got that Christian community, but uh, I still have you know all my all my friends that I had before I was uh, a follower of Jesus, and and of course they they make some lifestyle choices that I just. Uh, can't um, yeah. uh, go along with, and nor do I have a desire to. That's an important distinction mm-hmm. that I, I don't just do this because there's a set of rules and I'm not allowed to do whatever. I don't have a desire for those things anymore. Christ really changed my heart in that regard, but I definitely still care for my friends, um, mm-hmm. and not just in the sense that I want to reach them with the gospel. I do want to reach them with the gospel. I just care about them as people. Yeah, and uh, mm-hmm. so I definitely don't ever want to be, you know, Hayden's Hayden's too high and lofty. And religious now to hang out with us or mm-hmm. or you know to come over when we're doing whatever and stuff like that but so it's definitely um you know you you really you really got to have a good understanding and a, and a good foundation before before you can um, address that and so i think i think you mm-hmm. do a good job uh, both in the book and 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 now in addressing that do you want to add anything yeah yeah absolutely i, I think one thing in particular um i think many christians they're afraid to have friendships with non-believers because it, it, like you said, it would make them look like they're holier than thou. And they're like, I don't want to, I don't want to feel like that. Or they're like, well, I don't want to be friends with them because then they're going to think that I'm a hypocrite. And, and, or if I have to be friends with them, then that means I ought to be doing what they're doing as well. You know, involving themselves in, you know, perhaps drinking that's underage or smoking who knows what mm-hmm. or immodest behavior at parties, you know, and I don't, I feel like if I got to be their friend, then I got to do all that stuff. And that's just not true. You can absolutely have real deep, meaningful friendships with them without doing that stuff. Uh, that, that's just, it's just accurate. And so when they see you, uh, be around them and yet have your convictions, you think that that would lead to alienation, and maybe it might in some cases, but I think overall it leads to their admiration of you, not alienation, because they finally see like, oh wow, he can he actually likes being around me for me, mm-hmm. and not being around me just to be a part of the culture and just to fit in and and that and that's that's huge that that's a huge witness a big testimony and really maybe for the first time in their lives they're seeing someone who wants to be with them for them and not necessarily what else they're doing i think it's big yeah for sure and i've I've had plenty of conversations with people i just never thought that i would ever have a conversation about god or christ with Mm -hmm. uh just simply because i show up and care um and and i'm not being self-congratulatory it's just i mean i fell quite miserably at trying to uh, divide this line or, or walk between these two tensions but um, yeah so you, you'll be surprised if you just try and hang in mm-hmm. there and uh, you know you got to be strong of course and not give in to temptation and mm-hmm. be smart about where you go I don't when I want to see my non-christian friends um, I don't go with them you know out to the party or out to the bar or wherever I meet them you know on different terms I mean they're not always doing those things and so if I'm going to yeah, hang yeah. out with I'm, if I'm going to hang out with them I, I wait and until it's a uh, the, the setting is uh, appropriate and yeah and, just ask them to dinner ask yeah 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 home. come over and just hang out play. let's play video games let's you know exactly. whatever you know plenty of things you can do you don't have to go to the bar to reach people for Christ but uh, totally I'm not yeah anyway I'll I'll leave that at that. Or if you, can, if you want to, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say I, I don't know. Maybe you can, but I'm not gonna. I probably won't advise it. But uh, anyways, we'll switch gears from there. And uh, there's a, there's a another piece of practical advice that you get that you give that uh, I mean it makes perfect sense. It just kind of surprised me. Um, and that was whenever you say don't go home. And mm. so um, it, it makes sense whenever you explain it. And so I was hoping you might be able to explain it here. Yeah, sure. So, um, so uh, I don't know how how many people, 
you know, did the whole college thing. But for me in particular, I went to a university where I knew no one. I had no one from my high school come with me so that I can kind of like lean back on for, you know, moral, social support. I didn't have that. And so I went to this to, to this university not knowing anyone. And immediately you begin anyone in a college scene in a newer environment, which is completely different than high school or anything that you've been through before. You begin to feel... Um, even for those who are the most extroverted, which I'm pretty extroverted, um, I, I enjoy being with people. I love being with people. I love meeting new people, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I, you get a buzz from that socially. But then after a while, you know, okay, these pa- passing relationships begin to just wear off. And, and really the, 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 substantial, the desire for substantial relationships begins to set in. And, um, you know, if you don't have those more substantial relationships, you begin to fear, okay, am I in the right place or do I need to leave? Or maybe I just need to go, go home, you know, spend a weekend, just, you know, recap, uh, you know, just relax and, and, and then go to call and then go back on Monday. Uh, when classes start, but but re- really, that's not ever really helping the problem. The, the problem of not being able connect to connect with people or not being able to find good community isn't solved by leaving the place where you can find good community. Yeah. Um, um, and so the temptation I see from a lot of students is, well, I'm going to find shelter back at home, or I'm going to find shelter with high school buddies from the past, or I'm going to find shelter and and just don't do that. Now you are at a, a prime opportunity in your life. Four years. It's only four years where you have the opportunity to meet tons of people, uh, connect and get plugged in in meaningful ways. And unfortunately, if you're you know, leaning back on home or leaning back on high school friends or whatever to kind of keep you afloat, it's not going to help you grow. It's not going to help you make a difference on campus. It's not going to lead to your flourishing. Uh, and, and certainly your parents love you. Uh, I, I hope, and, and they want to see you thrive, and they want to see you contribute. And um, when parents just keep beckoning their child home, they're never really helping them be the person that they want them to be. After all, um, they're, they're maybe alleviating the problem in the short term, but they're really exacerbating the problem in the long term. And uh, so, my my encouragement to not go home simply comes from ultimately a desire to see them be lights on campus and to be ambassadors for Christ and to make a difference. And you can't simply make a difference if you're never there on the weekends, if you're always leaving home, if you're not thick, if you're fickle and kind of flaky with events there. Um, once you're there and rooted into the community, uh, that's what I think is essentially quote unquote incarnational ministry. You are being a part of that culture and, and trying to be an, an, an impact and a witness for Christ there. And, and you can only do that if you're involved. For sure. So you've heard a lot of good advice here, folks. I got one more question for you, Austin, and that is, what is the number one threat uh, facing a young Christian's faith uh, at the university today? The number one threat facing Christians today, um, I, I think ultimately it is, and this sounds cheesy and maybe a little bit elementary, okay. but I think it is biblical illiteracy. Yeah. Biblical illiteracy. Um, students go off to college and maybe they even grew up in church and they grew up in the youth group and they were plugged in and served and played in the worship band and they will go to college and they've never really read their Bible mm-hmm. and they don't even know the Bible and they don't know what it means and they don't know how it applies to them. And really it's just a book and I know I'm supposed to know it, but really in, in everyday life they're practically an atheist. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, the gospel and the Bible has no impact or import whatsoever on their lives uh, on a day-to-day basis. And you see that 
full on in the college experience. And so um, my encouragement to students is know the Bible, know the book, read it. You don't have to emotionally prime yourself to to have a good, amazing, quiet time with God every morning. And it, it warms your soul and gives you warm fuzzies inside. Like you don't you don't need that. What you need is truth. And what you need um, um, is is a message that will equip you. And the Bible is that. Uh, the Bible is is sturdy. It's strong. It's challenging. It it breaks your categories. It, it, it stretches your mind and makes you think differently about the world. And um, and overall, uh, it gives you um, great hope and it gives you identity that will be challenged in college. And, um, and we've talked about this a lot already. I, I think a big one, a big killer, uh, if you will, uh, in college for Christians is that they just simply try to find their identity in anything but Christ and his love for them. They try to find their self-worth and their GPA. They try to find their self-worth and that relationship and that fraternity or sorority and that group of friends and even the college that they're going to, how academically prestigious it is or not, or their career path or their major. And so um, those things are, are, are disasters if you try to find your, your worth in those things because they fade and they fail you and they change and you, they're just not reliable gods to serve. Um, only Jesus is. And so those are my two words of encouragement for, for Christians who are about to walk on campus. If there's anything that can threaten them, one, it's biblical or literacy, and two, not finding your identity in Christ because you're un- inevitably going to find it somewhere else. Well, you heard it here first, folks. you got to have your identity in Christ, and you got to have a biblical worldview. Uh, there, there's no uh, way around it. That's why, that's why Help Me Believe exists. That's why Austin's writing books like this. And so— Austin, thanks so much. Uh, it was nice to meet you. Thanks for taking your time to come on Absolutely. and uh, talk about this book. Again, thanks so much uh, for coming on. Thanks for the book. It's a great book. I hope it, uh, it succeeds and does really well, and I'm sure it's already helping so many people. Uh, again, thanks so much, man. Hey, I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Great to meet you. I'm amped about your podcast. Everybody, go subscribe. It is in the App Store. This is a podcast you do not want to miss. Uh, so make sure you stock your mind with good stuff like Hayden's putting on for you uh, every week or so. Or what's the what's Yeah, the every week. we do, Normally every week we do a podcast. Every week. Yeah. You heard it there yourself. So <laughs> listen to me and subscribe, all right? Thanks so much. Absolutely. If you enjoyed the episode, be sure to hit the like button, subscribe, leave a review if you're listening to the podcast. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us, guys. If you want to watch the bonus segment, head on over to the Patreon page. There's a link in the description or go to patreon.com forward slash help me believe and become a supporter of the show for as little as a dollar a month. Thanks so much for joining us and we'll see you next time.